Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Good morning and welcome to the podcast to be named later here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. My name is Alex Stump. His name is Jared Dugard. Jared, it's a happy Friday afternoon. We'll say it's happy. Yeah, it's weird. We're recording a little earlier today um, or this week, which is nice. Um, and you've now experienced two debuts on Rowanzi Day. I am very jealous. Who is the second debut on? Major League debut. You saw his double-A debut. Oh, okay. Okay, I see what you're saying. Like, I, my mind went to, like, I saw two players debut that day. I'm like, who, who else? Have I never seen this Cole Tucker fellow that, you know, people have talked about? No, but, yeah, I mean, that was as advertised, man. Like, I, I, have, I have very little to say about Mr. Contreras that I haven't said already like this he's going to be an all-star and i i hope people realize that whenever i say that you know they they could go back to what i said about pirates talking and i can say like you know i like this player i think he's got to be good i think this player has the potential to be a major league player i i've never thrown that out for for anyone not even davis not cruz but this this kid has just unreal stuff. This is, he might be the best pitching prospect in the, in the system. No, and I agree. I mean, we've, I've seen him pretty exclusively most of the summer when he was healthy. And, you know, if we talk all the time about Joel Hanrahan wanting to see him struggle. He comes out, shoves in his first, uh, first major league appearance. Um, and that's exactly what you want. I mean, that's a, that's a, what we've talked about before. It's, getting him acclimated to the majors, getting that out of the way. And then next year, take off the reins and let's see what happens. Because obviously this year was, was way different than what anybody ever expected. Um, as far as recovery from last year, the lack of minor league games. Um, so yeah. So come in and, and get, get that, the training wheels off and, and let him go and see what happens in 2022. And I think he has the potential to be a really, really special pitcher at this level. Yeah. And I, I, only got to see him in person twice this year. I got to see him in that double A debut and I got to see him in his major league debut. Um, I mean, I've, I've watched video <laughs> between, but seeing him actually live in person, I only got the opportunity to do twice. And both times I was really struck by, this was a kid 
making his debut at a new level and just how comfortable he looked there, how confident he looked out there, how he just attacked. He throws like he knows he has a 97 mile per hour fastball, you know, a wipeout slider and, and two other pitches that, you know, could get hitters out like this. This is a different tangent, but for all the people who say like, oh, Mitch Keller doesn't look confident. You don't always have to look like, you know, you're ready to run through a wall on a mound, but he does. He does like body language wise. It's, it's a 70 or 80 grade as well. Yeah. And, and listen, the, the stuff obviously plays uh, that's, yeah, that's not most important part. Um, but yeah, he, he's confident out there. And, and I would say that he toes the line of confidence and cocky really well. Um, and you know what? I'm excited to see what he's got because I think the, the younger style pitcher, the younger pitchers are, are really going to be where the bread and butter are for the pirates coming up with guys like Quinn Priester and I would even lump Michael Burroughs in there because of the performance that he's had this season. Um, yep. So, and then, you know, Majinski is uh, in AAA right now. He's got the call up to go from, it's been so weird. You go from double A to the majors, single A to triple A. Um, it, it's, it's been a weird year. Yeah, that's that, just but, to get innings, but yeah, that, right. that was, that did catch me a little off guard. Like, Oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. Right. And, and so, you know, you would expect him to, to pitch um, sometime this weekend and and see what you got, because guess what? I mean, this is this is the time to do it. You know, I kind of I really like the extended minor league season. You get some get some more innings, obviously, but you also get to see what guys have. And, you know, a guy that should be called up, uh, in my opinion, would be O'Neill Cruz. The dude is just absolutely mashing the baseball right now. Yeah. And maybe I, I can't shake the feeling that there's a outside chance of it happening for record's sake. We are recording this on Friday afternoon. And all we know for sure is that O'Neill Cruz is doing a zoom with the Indianapolis club on Friday afternoon in not in the not so distant future. So this drops Saturday morning. I think we got a, a decent shot of him not already being a Pittsburgh pirate at that point. But yeah, him coming up to the major leagues and heck, I, I know he got shelled Thursday night, but to see Miguel Yuhure, you know, follow up. Contreras to Yuhure, man, I could get you, I could watch that 20 something, 30 something times. That know, was your that back to back. That was, we, Alex and I obviously are, are, are texting each other when, when this happens. And I was like, this is like your dream. You get to see both of your guys pitch because Alex has been on the Yuhure train all year. I've been on the Contreras train all year but Alex has been on both and, and you know it's funny that had to have been like his dream come true and of course you know he get, finally comes back to, to PNC Park the, the triumphant return from beating COVID in a 10 game miserable road trip and then voila he gets Contreras and he gets Yehure and it's like oh wow the Pirates are gifting and, and giving this to, to Alex Stump because they just love him so much and because yeah. obviously if you're if you've not been put on the dl or dfa for the pirates what are you doing yeah and then you already get shelled but you know he that's he's not at 100 percent. you don't expect it at this point of the year whatever see him in 2022 yeah last night absolutely does nothing to to shake that resolve that i have that this this kid is going to be a good major league pitcher they're I think that's the big thing for 2022 though. And I know we've touched on this in the past and we definitely touched it on, touched it on in the last podcast, but just so many players this year, just, we're just 
cycling through the Troy Stokes, the John Nagowski's, the Ildemar Vargas is just, you know, guys waiver claims, whatever next year. I mean, there's always going to be some of that for every team, but next year there's going to be, you know, Travis Swaggerty. There's going to be O'Neill Cruz. There's going to be a lot more. You're There's going to be more Contreras. There's going to be more Kratik. Like there's going to be actually with the exception of Contreras who came up for literally three innings. So I could really, it's hard to really call it like a serious major league debut because he, he barely, barely, barely contributed to the MLB team. Like, who, who was the next best prospect who made their debut for this year for the Pirates? Was it was it Kranich all the way down at, you know, 20-somethings on every prospect list? Yeah, I mean, was it Castro? 20-somethings also at best. Like, I mean, there he just wasn't, wasn't... On a lot of He wasn't even on a lot of radars at the beginning of the season. No, no. I mean, I mean, we we saw why he was on the radar like yeah he, he got exposed he wasn't quite ready for the major leagues okay he skipped triple a that's totally fine but he also showed even in small bursts hey you know i i i can handle this which is not a bad situation to be in you know that stage of his career and for those curious if if triple a was above him or or if he wasn't able to adapt to triple a he was the triple a player of the week yeah <laughs> in, his, in his first week at triple a yeah, he looked confident up there too. So, I, of course, that, I think that's going to be the big thing in 2022. There's actually going to be like a real talent pipeline starting to come from Indianapolis between the the Mason Martins and the Kanan Smith Jigbas and maybe the Hal Mitchells. Just like a long list. We we saw that group of eight players that got promoted up from you know AAA at that point. Some of them. <laughs> are already one of them was already in the majors almost all of them should be on major league radars next year that's going to be more interesting i i don't know this team lost 100 games next year i don't see them doing it again next year just through virtue of they're actually going to be good potentially young players and that's the thing too is that now there's competition like let's be real the triple a roster the dfas were because there's literally nothing there like and maybe not literally nothing that and that and i mean no no, no literally nothing players. there you're right i did see the play and there's just nothing fun uh, about indianapolis up until this point um and i've seen i mean it's essentially the 2019 alternate curve team and they were not a fun team to watch and they were not good either um they, they hovered about 500 but let's be real here those guys got called up they deserved it um but i think next year it's there's going to be a lot I think there's going to be a lot more movement roster wise between double and triple a single and double a um, and triple a in the majors. And I think it's going to be deserved because now you actually have that competition and you have that, when you have that compete and you have that ability to, to go out and say, Hey, listen, Cole Tucker, like you've got to step your game up because there's guys now that can, that can take your spot and they're ready now because what Ben Sherrington always says, triple a is just like the majors. Yeah, or what Ben says is once you are in AAA, you're on the major league radar. Right. That that's the right way to put it. Like because yeah, I mean if anyone can handle their own in AAA, there's a good chance they could at least you know hum a few bars in the major leagues. You would expect so. Yeah. But speaking of the future, we uh, I sat down with Bradenton broadcaster Spencer Smith to talk about Bradenton's season, a low A champion season. Uh, so when we come back from the break, you'll hear my conversation with Spencer as we talk about the Bradenton Marauders' path to the playoffs and what it was like to beat the Tampa Tarpons uh, for the Low A Southeast Championship. 
endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Pirates Podcast. We name later. I'm sitting here, or sitting here, I should say, with Spencer Smith of the Low A Southeast champion, Bradenton Marauders. That has a pretty nice ring to it, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah, I'm I'm repeating it to myself each day, and I, and I think the whole organization really uh, is loving every minute of it. Now, obviously, you've had the driver's seat for that what was the Bradenton season like this year even just getting to um the championship it was a lot of fun and and I think especially with such a young roster there was so much growth that I observed and that Jonathan Johnston and the staff observed uh you're looking at a lot of guys who are coming from the GCL from the Dominican Summer League for a couple of guys you know guys who are starting the year at age 18 or 19 a couple of guys even finishing the season at that age and uh, just the growth was tremendous. Right. And and they seemed like they had a preloaded roster throughout the year with some big names. And what, who were some of the guys that really stood out to you over the course of the season? Well, from the very get go, uh, Hudson head was the guy who, who sort of headlined the prospect rankings. And he actually finished season still as the top ranked prospect uh, on the Marauders roster. Uh, good power ended up finishing uh, in a tie for the team lead with 15 home runs right alongside Andy Rodriguez, another guy who really stood out. Uh, the, those 15 home runs for both guys actually finished tied for third most in the league. And uh, so th- those two guys, uh, Andy being a switch hitter, of course, and a catcher, haven't seen very many of those since the Jorge Posada days with the Yankees. And uh, it, those are a couple of the guys that I think really headlined it. And then on the pitching staff, you got Adrian Florencio, you got Luis Ortiz, uh, Jared Jones had a nice run for the majority of the summer. Just you could really go on and on with all the names, but it, it was really, as you mentioned, a star studded roster and there really was not a dull moment all season. You mentioned Andy Rodriguez, and I think he was probably the best catching prospect up until Henry Davis uh, was drafted by the Pirates. How did you see Andy Rodriguez grow and develop over the course of the season? Well, he dedicated a lot of time to his craft as a catcher while also steadily improving as a hitter. Uh, I talked to him midsummer at one point, and he said he was trying to put a lot of emphasis on improving his transfer as a catcher from, from the glove hand to the throwing hand. And that was something that I think plagued him a lot early in the season when trying to throw out base stealers, he would sort of fumble that transfer a little bit. He greatly improved in that. Uh, one thing that was always there though, was his ability to develop a rapport with the pitching staff right from the get go. Guys seemed to enjoy working with him, called a good game, very athletic and quick behind the plate. Uh, you, you know, you see catchers far and wide who, 
do a good job back there, but none with the quickness that he has. And, I, and that's part of what uh, sort of lends to the rumors of he, he's going to be moved off the catching position at some point. That, that's, a very, that's a very real possibility. Uh, but in terms of the hitting, the power definitely started to come through a little bit more. Always an aggressive approach, but became a lot more selective uh, as the season went on. That was part of what made him so unbeatable down the stretch. Now, when you now he, he didn't just play catcher, correct? He did play. Correct. He did bounce around. Mm-hmm. So how did how did you see him kind of adapt to that? Because when you're a certain position for so long, you kind of get used to that. You kind of get into kind of a tunnel vision with that position. How did you see him adapt to that? Because you're right. I, I do think that he's I don't think he's going to be a catcher forever. Uh, how did he kind of adapt to that? Uh, you know, he got about a, a dozen plus starts at first base throughout the course of the season. Uh, and he looked really good there. You know, he, he looked confident. He looked comfortable. He was really good at making the pick. Uh, he made a handful of starts there when he was in the Mets organization, playing in the DSL and the GCL. Uh, so he looked good there. And, and I think that's certainly a possibility for him moving forward in terms of a position that he could be relocated to. Uh, the only other non-catching position he played this season was left field. And quite frankly, for whatever reason, it, it, it seemed like whenever he played out there in left field, he barely got any chances. So we, we didn't really have a lot of opportunity to see him uh, track down a fly ball. We, we did see him make a couple of throws. That strong arm is still there. Obviously a much different angle and a different uh, vantage point you're coming from as a left fielder. But the athleticism uh, and, and the routes, those appear to be there. And, and just with his speed, his agility, uh, if you're asking me personally, I think he may be a little bit better suited to a corner outfield spot than at first base with, with that, uh, that speed and quickness that he shows in the field. Which is something that you really don't see from the catching position, right? You, you, I mean, you think back to Joe Maurer and guys like that who, and even Buster Posey who play first base when they're not catching. But corner outfield is not a spot where you find catchers of all people. Not really, no. And uh, one guy that comes to mind, you know, sort of a, sort of the, total outlier above all uh remember Brandon Inge with the Tigers he, he was a catcher and then played some third base and you'd find him on you know sports center top 10 every single night practically and, and he think he played some corner outfield as well he could be one of those guys moving forward it, it's really I'm really excited to see what uh, what becomes of it Spencer you know this is a Pirates podcast you can't go anywhere without mentioning the intangible Inge tangibles of Brandon Inge who was a former <laughs> Pirate great yes. um of course but no, and that, and I think that's that's it's first of all, it's weird to see a speedy catcher, number one, because really just the the movements of it. You're kind of a bulkier, you're a stockier guy, but but Rodriguez isn't really that type. He doesn't really fit the mold of catcher. No, he doesn't. He, and he's listed six foot one seventy, which by my eyes seems to be more or less correct. Uh, there's definitely the the chance that he could and, and should fill out with a little more muscle uh, in the next few years. Uh, but but even with that in mind, he, he would still, in my mind, be a good uh, possibility to move on to one of the corner outfield spots. He definitely profiles there well with the arm and with the power bat. And so, yeah, it, it's once he adds that muscle and those home run numbers increase, he starts to hit even more extra base hits, which he led the league in extra base hits. So to see to see potential improvements moving forward is frightening. If you're looking at it from an opponent's perspective, uh, th- there's a lot to like about him and his future. Now, and he's still relatively young. So, I mean, there's still a lot of time for him to develop and, and physically mature, which is, I think, dangerous as well. Definitely, yeah. And he began the season as a 20-year-old. He's 21 now. And anytime you look at these prospects who are at low A, and for a guy like Andy in particular, who didn't even play 
full season ball until this season. And to put together the season that he did, uh, numbers-wise in terms of the intangibles, uh, it's just – it, it real, it's sort of stimulating to see and to think of what he could do once he takes those next big steps. You know, let's say he goes to high A and maybe fairly quickly advances to double A if all goes well in his development. Uh, it, it's really exciting to think and to see what, what could happen uh, for his game moving forward as he continues to take those next steps. We've mentioned a lot, of, a lot about his versatility. Now, this seems to be a trend throughout the Pirates organization, both – in double A with O'Neill Cruz playing some outfield and some infield, uh, Rodolfo Castro playing all, playing all over the place, and in Jiwan Bay playing all over the place as well. Were there any guys in Bradenton outside of Rodriguez that that really became that versatile versatile player um, for the Marauders this year? Yeah, Jace Bowen uh, absolutely fits that description. He began the season playing mostly second base. Uh, he was announced as an outfielder at the time he was drafted after playing most of his high school career as a shortstop. And, uh, you know, it took him a while to, uh, first of all, be penciled into the outfield on Jonathan Johnson's lineup card in any sort of regular sense. Uh, but I would say to right, right around the time that second half of the season came around, more or less, uh, was where he started to see a lot more regular playing time out in center field, got a few looks in left field, uh, but proved himself to be pretty capable of playing center field, uh, showed some good routes. I think he's still going to work on a, a little bit of taking that that quick first read, I think, is one one of those next steps he has to take. But overall, uh, with that speed that we all knew he had coming in, uh, he ended up ended up finishing second on the team in stolen bases, and that translates well to the outfield for him as well. Uh, between those spots at second base and left field and in center field, he also even got a couple of starts at third base. Uh, his versatility has been exciting to watch, also. Now let's pivot back to to some of the pitchers you mentioned, Jared Jones. How did you see him evolve uh, throughout the course of the year? I know Alex has, has profiled him and, and we've talked at length about him uh, on numerous occasions, but how have you seen his game kind of evolve? Uh, from day one, when he joined the team in late May, uh, he had this confidence about him and there's this very palpable competitive fire that burns within him. You can see and feel from in the stands or in the radio booth in my case, uh, just the way he conducts himself on the mound, the way he pretty much takes every step and every movement with purpose. Uh, it's, a, it's a refreshing sort of fire and gusto to see out there on the mound. And, and now there was some somewhat mixed results uh, in his game, at least his final stat line, uh, as to how he responded to adversity in terms of uh, giving up hits and then trying to recover from that or trying to pitch around errors that were maybe made behind him. Uh, there are times when he would absolutely bulldog through it and muscle up and wiggle his way out of jams. There are other times when uh, he struggled a little bit and things would snowball on him. And so I think uh, coming from the hugely successful high school career that he came from and now with his first forehand of professional baseball complete, I think one of his next big steps uh, is to get a little more experience with failing because frankly, you, you see one of those uh, once in a once in a lifetime area talents uh, that just blows away the local competition. Uh, that sometimes those guys have to grow and learn to fail a little bit more frequently in order to be, you know, tested by fire a bit more and then learn to adapt accordingly. And I think that's going to be a next uh, step for Jones. It's it's funny you mentioned that because um, we're talking on Tuesday. Ronzi Contreras makes his debut on Wednesday, uh, uh, or made his debut on Wednesday of this week, and 
one of the things that, that Joel Hanrahan said before the season was that they wanted to see him fail. They wanted to see him not have success. Why do you think that's so important uh, in, in development of a pitcher, especially? I think so much of it comes down to the mental side of the game and talking to some of our pitchers here in Bradenton this year, uh, they talked about what Fernando Nieve in particular, uh, uh, longtime major league reliever uh, was a great guy to have on staff. One thing that he did for so many of these guys was to instill inside them uh, their, their mental sharpness and approaching the game, approaching each new day. So let, whether you're a starter or a reliever, you have to be able to flush that past bad outing or, or to e- even put in the, into the rear view mirror a uh, successful outing and not, not be content to ride on the coattails of that previous outing, just get locked in and face the task at hand. And I think so much of that, uh, that ability to learn how to deal with failure, to deal with adversity, uh, that is sort of the, the dividing line, I think, between the guys who don't, a lot of the guys who don't make it and the guys who do make it, that ability to, to flush the mistakes and to simply zero in on the task at hand rather than uh, any amalgamation of what might have happened in the previous outing. No, and I think that's, uh, you know, it's funny as a former pitcher myself. Now, obviously, I didn't pitch at any elite level, but you're right. I think going out there and, and dealing with that failure and overcoming that, I think, is is huge mentally. Now, let's talk about a guy who had a decent amount of success when he, uh, he was brought up, Po Yu Chen. Um, it was a guy who was a significant factor down the stretch for, for Bradenton. Yeah, yeah. He His first couple of starts were sort of mixed bag efforts. You know, he... He blew through the order for the most part uh, his first time through the order in each of his first two starts. And that second time through, uh, you saw a couple of slip-ups, a couple of pitches missing their marks, and that's where he got hurt a little bit. He's a guy that has good movement on his pitches, but he doesn't have that overpowering fastball, uh, doesn't, doesn't throw anything at very high velo. And so with that in mind, he's a guy who has to be a little more careful in the mistakes he makes over the plate because that's where he tended to get hurt. Uh, now, the start that he put together in Clearwater, uh, seven scoreless innings in the Marauders' second-to-last uh, road series of the season, that was absolutely phenomenal to watch, and I think there's a lot of that ahead of him in his future. Uh, he was, There is something to be said for the fact that he was facing a slightly less experienced lineup. You're seeing a lot, of, uh, a lot of Florida Complex League guys who had to come up and sort of fill in for the tail end of the season for that Clearwater club. Uh, but... That was sort of a nice little serving size of what I think Chan is capable of when he locates that stuff to the to the edges of the strike zone, uh, and, you know, pinpoint command of where he wants to put those pitches. Uh, when, when he's on, he is on. And, and I think moving forward into 2022, I uh, expect to see a lot more of that from him now that he's gotten his feet wet at the full season level. No, and I think he's a guy to watch out for. He's 19 as of right now. He's 6'2", 187 pounds. To me, that's a frame that, that he's going to grow on, and I think that's going to be huge uh, for his development as well because I would imagine he'll start in Bradenton and work his way up to high A next year if, if, if my mind is working in the right way. Absolutely, yeah, and that could be the case with a lot of the guys who, who ended the season as teenagers. There may be that, that little uh, that theory or that frame of mind where, I know Sherrington, the player development, may decide to, to bring those guys along a little bit more slowly, especially the guys who maybe had any uh, considerable stretch of struggle at any point during the season. Uh, but that being said, even if some of these guys do uh, make sort of a semi-repeated level starting the season back in Brainton, that's not to say they won't push their way up at least one more level uh, later on next season. 
Right. And I think that's something that, that Charrington and company have been kind of deliberate about is the promotion and keeping teams together. And I think that paid off in a, in a big way in Bradenton, obviously with the championship. Yeah, definitely. And one thing that struck me about comparing the Marauders and other teams in the league, uh, this Bradenton roster largely stayed intact, at least talking about the core. There, there were inevitably uh, some changes that went on, especially with the pitching staff. Uh, there was a little bit of shuffling that went on the pitching side. Uh, but looking at so many of the guys in that starting lineup who were there from wire to wire, Jace Bowen, Michael Escoto, Dario Lopez, uh, Ernie Ordonez almost the entire season, Andy Rodriguez, uh, there definitely is something to be said for keeping cores of guys together. And I think you actually saw that in, uh, in Altoona a little bit also uh, for a lot of the season. Guys like Mason Martin and uh, O'Neill Cruz and uh, Rodolfo Castro. Uh, there is something to be said for that, and I think that can certainly have its benefits. I think that that was a little bit of that uh, playing forth uh, in Bradenton to finish the season. Oh, and, and, and let's talk about that championship. At what point did you think this could really happen? You know, uh, are you talking about it within once the championship series started? Both. Let's We can talk okay. about both. What, because obviously the team that they put on the field in Bradenton I thought was really good all year. But obviously, it takes a long time to get to, to where they got to. Yeah. You know, I was actually, over these past couple of days, writing a little uh, season recap story. And, and that sort of affords you the ability to reflect and look back on the peaks and the valleys and the turning points. The first major turning point that I saw was a nine-game winning streak from late May and early June. Six-game sweep of Palm Beach, then, a, then the first three games, winners against Dunedin. Uh that sort of showed the first spark of, I think, what this team is capable of when it gets hot. And from then on, they rolled the five consecutive series wins. And all, all season, once the season came to an end, only three series losses all year. And so I think pretty much from start to finish, uh, this team showed that they, they can not only blow out the opposition on, on occasion, but showed a good uh, resilience in sort of weathering some early damage. There would have been like some early two or three run deficits in the early innings, you would see this team push back, especially in the middle innings, which if you were to look at sort of the, uh, the run tallies by inning throughout games of the season, the middle innings were really where the Marauders sort of, sort of lived and loved to hit. Um, so w- once that nine game winning streak happened and then set off that five game series win streak, uh, that was really when it set off the, the alarms of, okay, this could be something really incredible here. Now you get to the end of the season, and, and this year was a little different. They played the, t- the teams with the two best records in the low A Southeast. Um, they finally they, they get to play each other in a five-game series. At what point during that did you realize, well, we have this is, this is actually going to happen? Right in game one when, uh, when Adrian Florencio was mowing down these big bats, you're looking at a Tampa lineup of, Jason Dominguez and a powerful Anthony Garcia, Trey Sweeney, the Yankees' first-round pick this year out of Eastern Illinois. Uh, this was a lineup that struck fear into the opposition uh, for, for pretty much the entire final third of the season. Uh, and, and, you know, the Tarpons built that early advantage in the league with guys like Anthony Volpe and Josh Smith and Trevor Hover. A couple of those guys got promoted. A couple got traded away in the Joey Gallo deal. Uh, but they just reloaded. All these guys came up from the complex league later in the season, and they just picked up right where those guys left off. And so in the final three games of the regular season series, 
uh, in early September, uh, these guys were knocking the ball out of the yard left and right. The Marauders and Tarpons combined for 31 home runs in that six-game series uh, to, to kick off September. And, and to see the way that Adrian Florencio absolutely silenced those bats over six strong innings in game one of the championship series and, and knowing what Luis Ortiz was capable of as he readied for his starting game two, uh, that, that was sort of an early indica indicator that, okay, this staff is capable of handling this powerful lineup and the Tarpons pitching staff, frankly, down the stretch of the regular season uh, was not one of the best in the league. And so we pretty much had a good idea uh, from the get-go of the series that the Marauders bats would jump all over them in that regard. How impressive were those bats uh, down the stretch there for Bradenton? Uh, very. I, I mean, <laughs> at the tail end of August was where we probably saw one of the best stretches of offense I've seen in my broadcasting career, really. Uh, a 22 to five win in Fort Myers on Sunday, August 29th. Those 22 runs were a franchise single game record. Uh, and the Marauders actually scored at least one run in seven of their nine innings at the plate that day. Uh, that, that was about a four hour, 10 minute game on a Sunday as the baseball gods would, uh, would tend to put on you. Uh, and then <laughs> the following Tuesday against Tampa, uh, a 19 to eight win. So that, that's a 41 spot over a two game stretch for the Marauders. And those were a couple of outliers, granted, but just sort of the amalgamation of this offensive talent coming together and firing on all cylinders uh, for a team that had really done so all season. If you were to look at the team offensive totals from the low A Southeast this year, Tampa led in just about every category. Who was right behind them in just about every category right, right behind them? The Marauders, you know, batting average, home runs, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, pretty much everything under the sun, the Marauders were right on their tail. And uh, for good reason, it, it showed. Now, that championship winning game, what were the emotions like? What was that like for you from your point of view, from your perspective in the radio booth? It was exciting to see, especially in terms of the growth that the team had shown uh, and just sort of mentally comparing uh, some of the rough beginnings for this team, especially uh, in the, on the pitching side of things. This was a pitching staff that was very erratic to begin play early in the season. And, and a couple of guys in our bullpen to finish the year, namely Oliver Mateo and Wandy Montu, a couple of guys who had really struggled with command, but showed that promise that life on the fastball and some nasty breaking stuff. Uh, those were a couple of guys who really led that bullpen effort. And then you saw some continued improvement among the hitters uh, to pick out their pitches uh, not and not consistently swinging away wildly at things like we had seen so much of earlier in the season. And looking at that game from the radio booth and really the entire series, comparing where many of these guys had been individually in their approaches and in their results, uh, comparing them from where they had been back in early to mid-May to where they came uh, this past week in winning the championship series, really a remarkable turnaround, and it was well-deserved for them to bring home that trophy. Now the season's over. The team is probably going is not going to stay intact, but for you, Spencer, what's next? What's next this offseason uh, for you as you prepare for the 2022 season? Well, going to enjoy the uh, beautiful part of the, of the year weather-wise here in Florida. I'm going to be sticking here in the area locally and uh, going to be freelancing for some local collegiate and high school sports programs, call some uh, basketball, some volleyball, maybe some soccer here and there, uh, football if the opportunity presents itself. Uh, still, still yet to be determined on specifics, but uh, I'll, I'll be staying here in the area and then uh, 
I'll be sharing on Twitter if folks uh, feel so inclined to listen along or watch. Uh, I'll, I'll be sharing that information when it becomes available. And uh, yeah, just looking forward to, to making this my home in the meantime. Really is a beautiful place and uh, privileged to be down here. Well, it's about to get nasty up here in Pennsylvania. We've got, <laughs> we're in the middle of fall, it seems, right now. And then the winter and snow, which is something as a foreign concept down there in Florida, I'm sure. Um, but I, I thank you as always uh, for joining us on the Young Bucks. Or I'm sorry, this isn't the Young Bucks anymore. Uh, this is the Pirates podcast to be named later. Uh, we thank Spencer Smith for joining us. We'll be right back after this quick break um, to talk more Pirates. Thank you again to Spencer Smith for coming on for a little bit in front of the podcast. That's twice. He's our first repeat, you know, offender, isn't he? That's right. That's oh, right. that was Young Bucks. That was Young Bucks. So that's technically the first to appear on, appear on both as I lose my ability to speak. That's right. Well, and, and listen, if you you heard me speak, misspeak there, I did call it Young Bucks. Um, I was like, oh, this is weird. But this is the Pirates <laughs> podcast to be named later. Um so, yeah, I mean, listen, to, we talk about the success in the minor leagues all the time, and, and that's a good thing. Um, and, and I was on Corey Geiger's radio show. Corey Geiger covers Penn State football along with me for DK Pittsburgh Sports now. And he has a local radio show, Sports Central in, in Altoona, Pennsylvania, which is where I'm located, of course, uh, just minutes away from PNG Field. And we talked about whether the success of the curve is dictated on record or prospects that get called up and you know it's a it's a very heated debate it's a very interesting conversation because in the minors records really I mean yeah winning is great and 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 all these things but you know as long as you get for businesses the business of minor league baseball as long as you get butts in seats that's what matters um prospects yeah you want to have a fun team you want to see them play but for as good as the prospects were in Altoona the the results were almost equally as bad yeah, and I, I don't know. This is something that John Baker and I, the director of uh, player and coaching development, talked about. He said, especially this year in the lower levels in particular, I guess you could count Altoon into this because a lot of those guys weren't at the alternate site last year besides, you know, the, the Cruz and Mason Martins. Um, it's You want to have that sense of camaraderie, that sense of, you know, learning to win together. And, you know, Bradenton, a lot of those guys who are new to the organization. They didn't get to play together as a unit in 2021 or 2020. They win a championship in 2021. Greensboro, same situation. They go to game five. They, they end up losing, but they go literally as close as you could get to winning a championship. Successful season there. Also through there. I don't know. If you win, especially at the lower levels, you usually win with good young prospects. Guys who are in your top 30, your top 20, maybe your top 10. Like that Greensboro team you you know why they were good they were good because they had the pagueros and the gonzaleses and the in the majinskis and the priesters and you know that that's why that was a good team it wasn't because you know they had a bunch of 25 26 year old guys just hanging on who hit 30 something homers you know this year no right and and listen you know it, it, the team aspect is is very important um and you know it, i think people kind of take that with a grain of salt because you talk about these highly touted prospects all the time, but you know, 
it's just one of those situations where the team aspect does matter. And you look at, you know, look at the major league level when the Pirates are good. You know, we're recording this in the eighth anniversary of the blackout game and, and Guaido dropping the ball on the mound at PNC Park. That team was close. The camaraderie of that team was incredible. And, you know, when that happens, it, it starts at the minor leagues. And it, it's crazy to think that, but, you know, that's, that's one of those things. I mean, you, you look at that team. Right. They had um, you had Tony Watson, who was on that team. You had, you know, all those guys and I and, and Josh Harrison and guys like that, that that stuck together. And when that happens, you know, good things happen. Jordy Mercer even. And and when that when you keep guys together, when you keep that core together, typically good things happen. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast to be named later here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you find fine podcasts for not only us, but for all the good shows, great shows that we have here on this channel. Uh, Jared, any last words? The season's almost over. Yeah, yeah. Mercilessly. You know what? I'm going to miss in a couple weeks or in like November or whatever thing. But right now it's like, all right, let's finish line, baby. Let's go. One weekend to go. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk again next week.